particular hymn that favorite of the church begins by speaking of the word of God, which reminds us both of his written word, but also the word incarnate. And there's almost a double meaning as we, as we sing and read those lyrics. I think it's an important thing for us to recall the value that comes from the word, the incarnate word, that we know from the written word. And I think we'll see that uh, somewhat today as we look at this text that we come to in Malachi chapter 2. God's messenger Malachi in the first chapter of his prophetic word started bringing to us a message from God to the people of God which addressed both the priest and the general populace of Israel. In that first chapter, one learns that the people were bringing sacrificial animals to be offered before God, but those animals were deformed or sick. The priests then were willingly laying those blemished animals upon the altar of the Lord in spite of those imperfections. And in all, what we saw in regard to those practices last week was that while there was a willingness in the people and the priests to worship God, their worship had become shallow. The Israelite people as a whole were unwilling to bring to God their best. They were bringing second best or maybe even far from second best. And it wasn't just a matter of an outward appearance in their worship. Their worship was reflective of the inward state of heart. In Israel, as a corporate community, there was a self-directed adoration rather than a desire to truly adore their Lord. In spite of all that, because these people addressed through Malachi's writing were a people upon, God, upon whom God had laid his affection, God's rebuke of them was meant to be for their good. Malachi, as God's messenger, was writing to correct wrongs, wrong paths taken. And as the message continues on, that need for correction remains, and so the rebuke of God remains. But where we will see a difference this morning in just a moment as we continue along in the prophecy is that the rebuke and the critique of God is now being laid nearly entirely at the feet of the priest. And the critique by God, if anything, is rising in intensity. And that is indicative to us of the importance of the role of these priestly intermediaries between man and God. And I would suggest to us all that just as we saw a great relevance and value to the words of Malachi for the church today in the world in chapter 1, we will also see a similar relevance and value in chapter 2 for the church today. Malachi was written in the first place to a people of an age, an age long gone by, but it's also written for God's people of any era. It's written for us. And with that in mind, please pray with me and then we'll read together Malachi 2, verses 1 through 9. Please pray with me. Father, as we encounter your word written so long ago, as we encounter your word written to a people who have long ceased to, to live in the way they had lived in Malachi's time, we ask, Lord, 
that we would still see how much we are like them, those people. We ask, Lord, that we would understand how much we need your word, how much we need to be corrected, and how much we need to rest on Christ. Lord, open up your word today. Be our teacher. Guide us in your ways. And Lord, as that happens, transform the way we live in a fallen world. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Malachi 2, beginning at verse 1. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. And people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. It can be true that the way the preacher goes, the church also tends to go. And if the preacher himself strays from God, that can have the devastating effect of then leading the church astray. And really that is the underlying message to what Malachi is saying to us this morning. We are to understand that whether we would have been a people living in the day of Malachi so long ago or a people living as we live today in 21st century America, that there is a need for the truth of God to be preached and to be proclaimed. There is a need for God's instruction to be poured out of the mouth of those who bring the word of God to the people of God. Whenever one is serving in a priestly type of role and whenever he is speaking true to God's word, the preacher's word becomes words that empowered by the Holy Spirit 
turn people from their iniquity and ultimately turns them to Jesus Christ. And my friends, that is why you should be very much concerned about the preaching that you hear. Especially the preaching that you hear in this particular church and from this very pulpit and from this very preacher. You should be concerned that what I say is true to what God has said. And your concern should very much be my concern. The way the preacher goes, the church also tends to go. And again, I say that this is the central message that Malachi brings to us, that God brings to us through Malachi. And we see it throughout the whole of these first nine verses in this chapter. I think it might be helpful for us to take up what is said to us here in Malachi 1, or Malachi 2, rather, verses 1 through 9, by looking at the text in three divisions. First, by looking at what it says in regard to the godly qualifications of the priest that God desires. And then secondly, seeing the tragic characteristics observable in the priest that's gone wrong. And then finally, what we should do is explore what can happen in a community dominated by ungodly priests. And as we look at all of these three divisions, we should also always do so with one eye open to what it is saying to us about preachers and preaching in our own time. So first, what are we learning here about what the qualifications of godly priests are? I think we see this best by breaking down somewhat what Malachi says about the covenant God has made with the priest of Levi and how the Levitical priests were at one time fulfilling well the role they had been given. The way this passage begins is with God speaking through Malachi a command that he gives to the priest. And I think it best to see that since the word command is repeated again in verse 4 and is identified there as being a command tied to the covenant of priesthood made with Levi, that the command in view is God's command for the existence and continuation of a priesthood as a divine institution. Now, there is no reference in the Old Testament narratives of God ever specifically making what is called a covenant with Levi. We only find that term here in Malachi and in Jeremiah where one reads of a covenant God makes with the Levitical priest. But we are made aware in the Old Testament narratives of how God specifically selected the tribe of Levi, that is the sons of Levi, who was the son of Jacob, to fulfill the priestly role among the people of Israel. If you remember at all the story of the golden calf, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai to find the people worshiping that golden calf, an idol, it was the sons of Levi who were said to be on the Lord's side and who were said to be ordained for the service of the Lord. They were given a special priestly function to serve between the people of God, the people God had chosen to be his, and God himself. And that can easily be thought of as God's covenant with them. I believe that is the covenant which is in view. And although the text reads that this covenant is one made with him and not them, plural, it should be read as a covenantal relationship with all the priests 
because it is the tribe and not the individual that's being referenced. And do see here in Malachi that in regard to that priestly service of the tribe of the Levites, that we are given an idea of what that priestly service would look like in a more pure state. We get an idea of what the godly qualifications of the priest are and what the priests rightly do from the content of verses 5 through 7. But even before the priest and his duties are more clearly defined, we see this covenant being described initially as a covenant of life and peace. Life and peace given by God to those in his priestly service. Life in a context like this is not merely referring to living and breathing. It's not life in regard to the length of a person's earthly days. It's a life of fulfillment and completeness and a life that is eternal, stretching into all eternity. And in a similar way, the peace that is named here is not just an absence of war or hostilities. It is a completeness in one's status and welfare forever before God. And so by saying that the covenant with the Levites was one of life and of peace is to describe a state of great blessedness in the Lord. And that should be what it is like to be in that priestly sort of union with God for both the priest and for those for whom the priest serves as an intermediary. But within any covenant, within any covenant God forges, his blessings are also accompanied by obligations. The priest is one who is to fear God, one who is in awe of God's name. To speak of having a fear of God or to stand in awe of his name involves having a true and correct apprehension of all of God's attributes. And it does mean, in part, understanding that God is a God of almighty power and that he is a God who possesses an unmeasured holiness and a God whose justice is perfect. Knowledge of those qualities in God should result in any person who has a correct apprehension of him to fear his judgments. To fear his judgments, but also then to all the more long for his sweet attribute of mercy. Because we also have a knowledge of our own sinfulness which merits that judgment. But part of knowing God in such a way, part of fearing God in such a way should instill in anyone and especially in his priests, a greater sense of duty. A rightly placed fear of God should result in the priest being intent in serving God well. And in that regard, here in this part of Malachi chapter 2, there is a great emphasis on what it is that the priest is to be teaching to the people. In regard to the priest's teaching, when the teaching is done right, his teaching is true instruction found in his mouth. We see that in verse 6. The lips of the priest then are lips that should guard knowledge, verse 7. It should be that people seek instruction from his mouth, the priest's mouth, for the very reason that he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. I think you can see what I mean about the emphasis here being on the teaching of the priest. 
And the last of those phrases I just cited, the one that says the priest is the messenger of the Lord, really establishes why it is that everything else said about the godly priest is also true. You should expect that true instruction is in his mouth if he is the messenger of God. You would expect that the lips of the priest would guard knowledge, true knowledge, if he is the messenger of the Lord. It would only make sense that people would seek instruction from this type of priest if he is always preaching words that are guided by the word of God. But while we see this emphasis here on the teaching of the priest, we also have to see as well that the word of God given to Malachi also engages the way the priest is to live his life. The priest is to walk with God, walk with him in peace and uprightness. I think we tend to think about walking with God as being a phrase that is suggesting a, a closeness in fellowship. I don't think that's entirely wrong, but it's still not saying quite enough. You see, walking with God also suggests his ever-present nearness, which means as well that the priest lives as one aware that he is always under the scrutiny of God. The godly priest knows that God sees every misstep he does as well as every faithful deed. And therefore, the more one lives in God's presence, that is, with an ever-present knowledge that God is constantly present, the more that person should make the life he lives a more righteous one. Knowing God's constant, present, watchful eye is the type of knowledge that should lead to a greater desire to live righteously and thus more know a continual peace with God and to also be quick to repent when one fails. And when the priest is living in a godly way like that, all his teaching will more likely be received as the true and right instruction that it is, the guard of knowledge that it is, because the priest is showing by his own life that he is adhering to what God commands. The people are hearing his teaching, but they also are believing the truth because he believes the truth. The priest's teaching and his living of life need to be in harmony. Now, do you see just how much this truth about the way of God has spoken uh, about the priesthood, the way God has spoken about his priesthood, should also be applied then to the church today? The ministry of the word of God has been placed since the coming of Christ and the apostles into the hands of men ordained to the gospel ministry. New revelatory prophecy has ended in these days in our modern times, but the word of God is still going forth and primarily that is happening through the word preached through ministers ordained for that very purpose. And what we all should then want from today's ministers the ministers of the word, is that they speak the truth of God from the word of God, thus serving as messengers of the Lord of hosts. And of course, that means that the walk of the modern minister should also be in sync with the words that he speaks. The existence and the continuation of God's covenant with Levi in this sort of manner continues through the ministry of the word today through those who have been called to preach and teach the word of God. Keep that in mind. 
as we notice as well how these characteristics of a godly preach are being described in this part of Malachi as if they are a thing of the past. In verse 5, God says, My covenant was one of life and peace. I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. All the verbs are given in the past tense as if God is speaking of the Levitical priesthood as it was first ordained but is no longer. Now, we needn't necessarily read that as if it means that all of the attributes of a godly priesthood have, had vanished by the time of Malachi's writing, as if it never would return. In fact, I would actually argue otherwise, as I have perhaps indicated somewhat already by likening some of the qualities of, of a godly priest to the attributes that should be seen in a godly minister of today. But it is also certainly apparent from Malachi's writing that the existence of a godly priesthood was on a downswing during his time. The priestly Levitical office was still in existence, as Malachi wrote. The priest was still serving in the temple, now a rebuilt temple. But it is abundantly apparent that the priests have not taken it to their hearts to fully give honor to God's name. Not only had the Lord said to them, if there is no change, he would send his curse upon the blessing of the priest. But he, God, was already bringing his curses because the priest had already failed to lay it to heart to honor God. And that failure to have a heart to honor God was reflected in the teaching and, and living of the priest in Malachi's day. Just as, as we have seen the godly priest as being one who lives with true instruction in his mouth and who guards knowledge and who is the messenger of the Lord of hosts and who walks in, with God in peace and uprightness, the priests that Malachi addresses seem to be men who have no such qualities. In fact, after Malachi has written about this priesthood as God had ordained it to be in that, in that section from verse 5 to verse 7, his very next words to the priest's contemporary to Malachi begin with the words, but you, but you. What terrible words to hear. Whenever but you comes after a description of a people with godly qualities, you have to know that what follows are words the people are now, who are now being depressed would address would rather never hear. But you, O priest, you have turned aside from the way. Why the priest, the good priest, walks with God in peace and uprightness, the sinful priest of Malachi's time had taken a different path. The instructions they give to God's people have caused many to stumble. And the Lord of hosts says to priests like that, that they have corrupted the covenant of Levi. They have not kept God's ways. They have shown partiality in their instructions. Now again, think of these characteristics which were being seen in the ungodly priest of Malachi's day. Bring them through the pages of time and rest them in the church today. Could it not be just as easily said in today's times that many of the ministers have corrupted the covenant of Levi.
that many modern ministers have turned aside from the way and are causing people to stumble, that ministers themselves aren't keeping God's ways and are showing partiality. We cannot close our eyes to the realities that there are those preaching today who twist the word of God, claiming, for example, that there is health and wealth for all who believe. Often we hear such things being preached when the real motivation behind such words is just to transfer wealth from the parishioner to the preacher. We also find many preaching today who would say that homosexuality or abortion are morally acceptable or who make the pulpit a political platform, who claim the Holy Scriptures are unreliable, that Christ performed no miracles, that he didn't raise from the dead, and that there are really many different ways to God. In the 1500s, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cramner, recanted from his past errors and died a martyr, clinging to Christ and to Christ's truth. But just last week, I was reading how the present Archbishop of Canterbury was apologizing for church positions once taken that were very, still very much true to the Word of God. So we see in these passages, this passage, both the godly qualifications of the priest that God desires. We see in it as well the horrible characteristics in some in which the priesthood and ministry has been a priesthood and ministry that fails to follow God's way. And we see how today's ministers can still either lead as ones following Christ or lead as ones pleasing man. But then we are also seeing in this section of Malachi that there are tragic consequences upon the church when the community of faith is dominated by ungodly priests or ministers. One of the things we read here is that if the priests don't change their ways, that God will place his curse upon them and he will actually curse their blessings. I think when we read that, we should understand what's being said about God cursing blessings is something that should be heard in a rather comprehensive way. And what I mean by that is not only are the curses of God replacing the blessings of the priestly position, but the blessing that the priest would normally pronounce upon the people is a curse rather than true blessing. Think of it this way. It would be like when I pronounce a benediction over you, when I pronounce God's blessing over you, that instead of saying something like, may the Lord bless you and keep you, what you would be hearing instead is may the Lord curse you and shun you. The priest who is ungodly, when he pronounces the blessings of God, is in a sense delivering the curses of God. And that would be because in everything else that he does, he is leading people astray. He leads people astray because the ungodly priest is not instructing in truth. His, his, there is wrong upon his lips because he is not walking in peace and uprightness, because he is not guarding knowledge, because he's not acting as a messenger of the Lord of hosts and has turned aside from the way of God himself and has shown partiality in the instruction that he does bring. The priest causes many to stumble. 
And he fails entirely then in turning people away from their iniquity. And then even after saying all these things that I have just said, the work of the godly priest as described here is also described with even more devastating effects. And the way God describes that in this part of Malachi gets rather graphic. What's written in verse 3 is that if the priests will not listen to God's correction, there will be a rebuke of their offspring and the Lord will spread dung on their faces. The dung of the animals they have brought as offerings. And then they shall be taken away. The priest shall be taken away along with the dung. Why that certainly speaks of what will happen to the priest who isn't following God's way. We have to remember that that priest was serving as that intermediary between man and God. The offerings he was bringing were largely meant to be offerings to deal with human sinfulness. The removal of the priest then thus affects the people in a grave way. They have no intermediary. But I even have to think that the last verse of our reading is even more enlightening of the consequences that come because of a failure of the priesthood. God will make the priest despised and abased before all the people. Whenever the priests fail, whenever ministries and ministers in our age fail, there is in turn a widespread despising and abasing of all leadership in the church. And that's another thing that I think becomes evident in the modern church. In our culture, the more the ministers, the ministers of the church stray from God and from his word, the result among the people, all of the people, not just the church, but among all of the people, is for there to be a worldwide spiritual downgrade and a more open rejection of God and the whole of his word in the whole of the world as well as in the church. So what's the answer to the dilemma? What's the answer to the dilemma of Malachi's day or of our own? What is the solution to a flawed priesthood? Well, what you might be thinking I would say in answer to my question is that the people of Malachi's day needed better Levitical priests. And the people in our day need better ministers of the word. I wouldn't argue vehemently against either of those propositions. But there is also certainly something we all need even more. We need the perfect priest. We need a flawless priest. We need a priest who could offer the only perfect sacrifice, his own sinless self upon the cross. We all need Jesus. There remains in our day a priestly sort of role in the church which comes with the preaching ministry. But the covenant with Levi, especially the way that covenant is described in verses 5 through 7, can only truly be fulfilled in the end by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one who is the word of God, the one who is the perfect messenger of God because he is one with the Father. 
There will be danger in any church that looks to any man who fills the pulpit as the guide of the church and the hope of the church. And that's why the flawed man that fills any pulpit must always, always point beyond his own teaching to the teaching of the one who is the great high priest, Jesus Christ. Certainly we do want godly ministers, ministers who endeavor always to teach rightly the word of God and who endeavor to live according to his ways. But the chief role of any minister, the chief role of any minister established by Jesus Christ is to direct the people he serves to the God he serves. And doing that by directing all people to the one who truly takes away all iniquity, the only one who takes away iniquity by directing them to Jesus Christ, the one who bestows true righteousness. I think the book of, of Hebrews teaches this so well. It continually is telling us that Jesus is better. And one of the things it tells us that is that he is better than the Levitical priesthood. My friends, look always to the great high priest who takes away the sins of fallen people. Priest and minister included all people. My friends, the best I can teach you is to always point you to Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and Father,